Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast preview extravaganza 2023 edition. I'm making it bigger every time, Matt. So head over to MWR.com, Twitter, MWCWire, while it lasts and is a thing. <laughs> right? That's kind of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Hanging on here. Because uh, somebody in charge is like, yeah, we'll just screw around and see what happens. So like you put on Twitter, Matt, the website never fails. I th- That's right. Fingers crossed. No, we're good. So we're talking it, team preview season. Perfect time, Matt, because we're recording this July 2nd, correct? Right before the that holiday, July 4th. We'll keep it in, in um, self-contained. These are our previews. So if you're listening over 4th of July, we have you're driving somewhere. We have a few other shows. San Diego State is today. Utah State, Colorado State, Boise State, the past prior preview. So if you want to listen to those, if you're driving a distance or flying, hey, go back and find those. But today, last text, and we have news, Matt, of what happened. We're going to spend a little bit of time on it, kind of how it compares big picture for the Aztecs, but they're hanging out in the Mountain West for a minute. So that's where we're at right now as we preview this upcoming season, which they were going to play mm-hmm. in regardless, obviously. Yes. So... The news, apparently, I'll, we'll make it quick and brief here because we don't need to make a big deal. June 1st, or July 1st, excuse me, as of yesterday, a million teams changed conferences. So, like, Big 12 added teams, officially, Sunbelt, mm-hmm. American, all these Conference USA. And it's also deadline if you're going to change conferences. We're seeing a state if they're going to go to the Mountain West, it'd be about, leave the Mountain West, about $17 million to a Pac-12 invite that still seems, what, 78% happening? <laughs> it seems like it, and that range is down the road. Yeah, a little but it slower, did. I think, than everybody expected, but probably still the most likely scenario whenever it comes to pass. Yeah, it's the Pac-12 that's like, well, we don't have a TV deal yet, but it's like, do we need 10 teams to get our money, or do we need 12? And I'll just say this, SMU is playing it perfectly. They haven't said a dang word about anything, <laughs> so they're just mm-hmm. waiting their time. Aztecs are like, are we go? Can we get there? Are we there? Yet? Are we there? Yet? Are we there? Yet? And oh, we're not there. Yet. We have four more hours to drive. <laughs> like the little kid in the backseat this weekend who's banging on your chair if you're listening to this as you're going to wherever. But so they're hanging around, which it's fine. It's expected because they they don't have thirty something million dollars to pay if they were to leave, say August fifth, and leave for 2024. Mm-hmm. So they're hanging around. Not it's pretty much expected. They talked with Kurt Kinney, San Diego Union Tribune, for my show, radio show I work on. He was um, not to be heard, but he's kind of Eeyore. He's like, I won't basically, I won't believe it until I see it. And that's probably yeah. the best stance I've heard of anybody about this from the exactly. Aztec side. So what did you want to discuss about this as it pertains to Aztecs kind of last year, this year, or kind of big picture? Yeah, I mean, I think broadly speaking, I know that on Twitter, there was a lot of you know jokes being laid a lot, made about a lot of uh, a pride being expressed on the part of Aztecs fans. And I think, you know, given their track record over the last decade or so, I mean, it's it's hard not to see why, you know, they've had a couple of conference championships. They've been to a third one. They've you know generally been, you know, at or near the top of the Mountain West in more ways than one. Like it's a it's a healthy program. It's a thriving program all across the board. And, you know, I think 
you know, there, though there was a lot of sort of reactionary schadenfreude after the fact, <laughs> I think it's important to note that, you know, if any other fan base in the Mountain West, whether it's Boise State, whether it's Fresno State, Colorado State, or any of the other, you know, uh, schools that have been bandied about as potential expansion candidates here and there over the last couple of years, Essex fans didn't act any differently than anybody else would have if they had been in their I- shoes. They would have been, we're getting out of here, kick you to the curb. We don't care. We're better than you, which. And I, and I think yeah. to sort of narrow the focus to 2022 in particular, and to think about this football team, this football program in particular, the one thing you can say about San Diego state, you know, given their track record of success is sort of that old axiom of like, you know, good teams eventually figure things out. And yeah, I don't think even Aztecs fans would would disagree that in the early part of last season, their team was not particularly good, um, especially on offense. Like that, the 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 way that they played on that side of the ball for like the first month and change of the season, basically, I mean, it almost derailed the entire twenty twenty three campaign for good. Um, you know, in terms so you're of yards me, per play, on, you're telling me. Braxton Burmeister didn't work out last year, as I predicted and others. You're telling me a guy going to his third school didn't work out? He did not work continue. out. Okay, continue. I saw point that out because everybody was on me like, he'll be great. He's running quarterback. They had new coaches out there at Virginia. He'll be awesome. And I don't like to be right when it's negative things like that, but I just like the quarterback they have now on place a million times better, which will be great this year. Good teams figure things out. And and part of it had to do with, you know, injury popping up at the position too. Like, let's not forget, they also went through two other quarterbacks before they finally had to turn to Maiden, who, you know, if, if as everybody recalls, most people recall, I'm sure, was a safety. Yeah. You, know, you transitioned from quarterback to safety, but then when, when Burmeister was, you know, injured for a time, when Kyle Crum and Leo Almave were injured for a time, they had no other choice but to go back to him. And that, you know, sort of necessity, um, you know, was was one big reason why they were able to turn things around, as well as a, a defense that remained stout, even if it didn't necessarily always seem like it. Like, if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't know that the Aztecs defense was still very good last year. But in terms Germanic's of, like, a pretty, play, for pretty example, good coordinator. Pretty good so, coordinator. so, like, there's sort of, like, two seasons within the 2022 season, there's the first five games, like pre-Jalen Maiden, where the Aztecs on offense, they averaged 4.4 yards per play. Not very good. In the last eight games, once he took over as the starter against Hawaii, I believe, that average got bumped up to 5.6. And so, like, they, they were much better on offense in the second half of the season than they were in the first half while also maintaining a, a very strong defense uh, all the way through. But then the second part of the season was also sort of defined by that offense's new growing pains because as good as Jalen Maiden was, you know, one thing that really defined the stretch run for this team was, you know, killer turnovers, backbreaking mistakes. You know, you look at the three losses that they had in this back half of the season at Fresno State, home versus Air Force, and then the bowl game against Middle Tennessee, mm-hmm. they were minus 10 in turnover margin. And so, okay. you know, when you sort of flip the chapter from, from that season to this one, you know, the offense, you know, still has questions, but I think 
it, there's no doubt I would say that it's it looks on paper to be much better shape. The defense is having to replace uh, two or three major stars, but you know still returns more talent than you think and brought in some really interesting pieces on that side of the ball. So it's sort of that balance between, okay, can the defense hang on to that high-level performance that they've become accustomed to over the last half decade or, or, or so? And can the offense hold on to the gains that it made down the stretch while also sort of cleaning up where things went awry in those games that they lost last year? I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to remain in the mix, but as is the common refrain in all of these team preview podcasts so far, they've got just about as they've got just about as many questions as every other team that we've talked about to this point. And I would say um, for the teams that are going to follow this team preview as well. Yeah. So let's just kind of get into like one of the big changes, new offensive coordinator, Ryan Lindley comes in. Yes. He was the quarterback under, see there Brady Hook the first time around. Yes. I remember the, so it's funny because Brady Hoke, remember what he did last time, and Lindley was there. There, I remember one article I wrote up years ago, like, oh, he was projected number one draft pick, the stupid day after the mock drafts, which are lame and mm-hmm. dumb. He, I, I think he went to the Cardinals, stuck around a couple years in the NFL, but he was a prolific passer in the Mountain West in San Diego State. And him coming back to coach the offense, offense is going to be a pretty big deal. So there's going to be some changes for what we see. I think that's one of the better additions, at least what potentially could happen. Because like you mentioned, midway season when Jalen Maiden came in, when because they made the change offensive coordinator, promoter from within for a little bit to kind of just keep it stable, which smart mm-hmm. move to do. Just no, you're not going to bring an outside guy. Offense looked better. And my opinion was better. So it made everything better because the running game wasn't great. Offensive line had some shuffling here and there. But I think that's going to be a big hire. We might actually see a senior state team, despite losing guys like Jesse Matthews and Tyler Shavers, other wide receivers. And, um, a tight end as well as gone, if I recall. Yeah, Matthew or whatever. They're going to pass more, I think. That's the point. The running game needs to be better than what it's been, but I think with Lindley coming in, Brady Hoke, remember he took the spread to offense in Michigan, and when he came back, he's not running the spread again here in San Diego State, right? Like, he's been trying to do what they've done all before. No, they're probably Between still going to run a lot of two tight end sets. Oh, yeah. Two wide I mean, receiver, like, remember, two tight ends, one running back. Definitely. But I mean, like, Hoke isn't doing what he did the first time around. He's changed because defensive yeah. coach, remember? But he's run the yeah. spread. Why is he going to Michigan? Blah, blah, blah. They're going to run it like, because they're going to run not necessarily jumbo set, but multi, like I said, two tight end sets, maybe um, just two running backs and the full. A tight end can technically make the H back. So, like, what do you want to say? Fullback, tight end, mm-hmm. that, type, that type of guy where he'd just be an extra blocker, not necessarily the traditional fullback, but a big guy to plow the, plow the road for whoever's carrying the ball. But I do think mm-hmm. they're still going to – what they're going to want – you don't bring in Ryan Lindley to run the ball. You bring him in no. to – let's try something different, sling it, because it worked last time when he was actually under center playing for Hoke. And I think this is going to be a, a big thing in the conference, especially running game, had one of its worst years in a long time this past season. Well, I mean, don't don't forget, like, he was their quarterback's coach last year. And so mm-hmm. he, was, he already had an active hand in, in sort of shepherding Maiden into this new role. But considering – they sort of had to retool things on the fly. You know, I think they should, you know, maybe they feel pleasantly surprised about how good Maiden was overall, but I think, you know, they did throw the ball more often, like even in the bowl game, they yeah. were particularly good at throwing the ball against, against the blue Raiders, but you know, Maiden had 43 passes and yeah. in the eight starts that he made, he threw at least 22 passes in every well, game. Better, maybe that better pass, like lot, but that's, that's still, I think a little more than most, if not all, <laughs> of what you were accustomed to seeing from an Aztecs quarterback in recent years. 
and Chris and so, Chapman comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, on the surface, you know, completing, you know, slightly under 60% of his throws, 59.5, averaging 8.6 yards per attempt, which if you'll remember, was number one among qualifying quarterbacks in the Mountain West, I think, excepting like Air Force quarterbacks, which you know, tend to typically have a, a wire, uh, higher YPA. And, you know, 12 touchdowns, but they, but the big the big thing, which again, comes down to better decision-making, 10 interceptions, mm-hmm. um, and which which equates to an, an interception rate of 4.2%. That's too high. You know, we talked about it with yeah. other quarterbacks, I think, namely Cooper Lagov, Utah State. And, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, one other thing that was sort of noteworthy is the fact that, you know, he also had you know, a turnover-worthy weight, rate, excuse me, of 5.6%, which was also one of the highest amount in the Mountain West. And so in between the decision-making and maybe having greater finesse when he does drop back to throw, when they want to continue stretching the field, PFF also marked him with the third fewest big-time throws of any quarterback in the Mountain West, too. He only had six of them in eight games. And so I think you know those two things taken in tandem are going to be where the difference really lies for this offense heading into 2023 because i think he's got the goods you know he he's not necessarily oh, yeah. asked to run a lot but you know before adjusting for sack yardage yeah he can run a little bit um you know he had 230 yards on the ground before you adjust for sacks had a few touchdowns so he has that element of his Enough. game to it but but they're gonna want him to be a more effective passer and it's really going to come down to those two things well think of this he got again he was playing safety last year defensive back he comes in Join the quarterback room because out of high school he was a quarterback commit recruit. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be similar. We talked about Taylor Green last week. He got I know Taylor Green played that first game last year for Boise State when Hank Buckmore got benched. Yeah. But it's all these guys like I, I'll talk about it every time. The Mount was quarterback on surface, as of right now, it's like eh, how good is it gonna be? There's so much potential with all these guys within the conference, even going to Braden Schrager in Hawaii, there's potential to be exceed expectations. And this maiden having actually think of this, you're playing a completely different position, Matt. And you go, all right, you're playing quarterback. Well, I haven't played in a while. I'm pretty athletic. We know I can throw. Do I know the playbook? Do I know my teammates? How well do I know my center? How well do I know my wide receiver? My tight end number two. How well do I know my left tackle? Probably not great. If you're playing defense, you don't know that. That's the thing. Knowing your teammates and being comfortable on your side of the ball. And then now having all spring and currently going through some workouts, going to be fall camp. He's going to take a big leap. Like his yards per attempt is already great. Best of the conference, as we mentioned. Completion rate per game, right about 59.5 technically is exactly, which is fine. Not amazing, but that's better than we've seen some other prior San Diego State quarterbacks. It's no mm-hmm. Clay Millen or Doug Brumfield, who are 64 and 72 respectively each. Not Cooper, close to Cooper Lagan and Taylor Green. But if he can get just a touch higher and he's getting the decision making, actually having him play the position he's playing and not just chucked in there going like there's a reason he's he could be i know mount was just as two all-conference quarterbacks like he's i think if things go extremely well i'm not predicting it but i could see a scenario where he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the conference i think the other major question too which we're gonna you know rather than you know saying it three different times as you talk about the other position groups is Go that you know Maiden looks you know he looked good more often than knocked down the stretch, but yeah. one progress isn't always linear. 
I wish and two, <laughs> there's just enough questions everywhere else on offense that, you know, the way he progresses, like his, his developmental path, you know, does seem like it has a lot of possibilities. Like he could struggle if certain things aren't resolved in other parts of the offense, I guess is what I'm saying. So where do we go? Running back, offensive line, where are we headed here? Let's talk about the offensive line first, because that has been something of a big red flag over the last couple of years, which is which is odd, despite the fact that, you know, they've had, you know, NFL draft prospects, you know, come from this program, you know, like Alama Uwabe, um, you know, William Dunkle a couple of years ago, Zachary Thomas. So, like, they've had standouts, but as a unit, you know, even despite Maiden's success after the quarterback switch, this unit really struggled in a lot of respects last year. Um, you know, even with Uluave, even with Josh Simmons, who you know, recently transferred to Ohio State, the transfer portal, this was an offense that was 126th in average line yards per carry, which again, out of 131 teams in the FBS, they were 128th in power success rate, which is, you know, short yardage situations, very on San Diego State-like. 129th in stuff rate, which means that opponents got into the backfield at a higher frequency than just about any other team in the country. 25.2%. That meant every one of four times they wanted to run the football last year, zero or negative yardage. And then, you know, protecting Maiden was also kind of a concern, protecting the other quarterbacks, because they were only 92nd, only, with a (laughs) 7.3% sack rate allowed too. So now... You know, they're having to sort they're having to replace Simmons, they're having to replace Uwave, which by the way, left tackle and center, arguably the two most important positions along the offensive line. And even though they're bringing back a lot of reps from last year, you know, Cade Bennett, I think, is probably the headliner in that regard. Uh, at yeah. left guard, zero sacks, only six hurries, according to PFF. But you know, th- they have experience coming back but they're going to need a lot more from a unit that is still relatively young. You know, guys like Ross Ulubella-Masiuli, Tom Mirabella, um, you know, Christian Jones, who's going to probably be stepping into that left tackle spot in Simmons' stead. They just, they need to be better across the board because I think more than anything, you know, if they, you know, struggle to protect Maiden, if they struggle to open running lanes consistently, that I think is going to keep this offense looking as erratic as it sometimes did, which which cost them especially in those games that they ultimately lost in the second half of last year. Yeah, because if that line's not protecting made in a running game, it's like, eh, what do you got? And also they lose Josh Simmons to uh, Ohio State. That's a big deal mm-hmm. too, right tackle? Start for thir- uh, uh, thir- every game, I guess, 13 games. Yeah. So those guys... It's it's been a thing like it's at, we're at the point now where it should be like referring past couple of years where you mentioned Dunkel and other guys going off to the NFL. It's been long enough since they've been really good running the ball that we can no longer say, "Hey, this should be a strength for them." It should be, it, like the past couple of years haven't been great for them protecting the quarterback, stable offensive line, and running the ball well. And the offensive line's been like we mentioned, just like kind of uh, mm-hmm. not ideal. So we're at the point now where they, they're at a prove-it point to say, hey, we are what we were in 2018, 2017, when we had Richard Penny, Donald Pumphrey, and um, Jordan, even Jordan Bird to a degree. It's not necessarily they need to have those 2,000-yard rushing seasons, but have this past year was the first time they're like under four yards of carry running the ball in a long time. Mm-hmm. Which I think 
2009, I want to say. So, offensive line needs to prove it. They need to find who's going to be stable and start. And they and their schedule we'll get to. It's not easy. Non-conference is very difficult for them. And they start mm-hmm. off playing def- defending Mac champs in Ohio. It's at home, but still, they're going to need to figure things out. And they're, they're in a proven mode for offensive line and running back for me at this point. Like, I give them a little benefit of doubt, but I'm not going to say, oh, they're guaranteed to be, say, the third best running attack in the conference, Grand Air Force and whoever's number two. That's not San Diego State, because that's what's usually been. Aztecs, or some usually Air Force, obviously, just because what they do. And then usually San Diego State's right there. Boise State's obviously been right there for majority of the not majority of the time. Fresno State, past couple years, Jordan Mims, um, Ronnie Rivers, those type of guys. They've been in that mix. Now it's like, well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, like if, if you want to think of it in terms of, you know, even if they can't open running lanes consistently, can they do a better job of protecting Maiden, which I think was relatively their strength last year? You know, Pro Football Focus says that Maiden in particular absorbed 18 sacks. And in terms of like the number of pressures that he faced in, in you know, sack percentage off of those situations, you know, 17.8% is still on the lower end compared to his peers in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. But you, you would like to see that be a little bit better. Like if you compare that to Taylor Green, for example, Taylor Green was a lot better, maybe in a category of his own, at Boise State only 6% of pressures, which turned into sacks. So, you know, there, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on both the quarterback and the line in front of him to keep last year's forward momentum moving in the right direction. So who's going to run the ball for them this year, Matt? Because they lose a couple of guys. So who's going to guys that there are lanes broke open up for them? I know protecting quarterback's important, but I don't think this team can just rely only on Maiden and what he can do. They got to run the ball, which is stupid and typical football talk, but they're not going to be a team. Well, okay, like so here's, he... here's a question for you then to answer your What's question. That? Go for it. Do you think San Diego State is going to feel compelled to find the guy? Because more often than not, for better or for worse, you know that has been – you know, Brady Hoke and, and whoever's offense coordinator has been, that's been their MO to find one guy to sort of shoulder the majority of the loads. Well, you know, most recently it was Craig Bell, but that wasn't necessarily the case last year where, you know, Jordan Bird led the team in carries, but he only had 102 attempts for the entire season. He only averaged fewer than eight attempts per game while also sort of leading a committee of running backs, there were four different running backs who had at least five carries per game. So with Bird gone and and guys sort of having come up and, and taken on the lion's share of roles at, at various parts of 2022, you know, on the one hand, you've got candidates like Keenan Kristen, who lost a little bit of explosiveness as a, as a pass catcher, at least, you know, you look at his big, you know, catch and run touchdown in the bowl game against Middle Tennessee you know, he had an all, a similarly big catch and run, I believe, against Fresno State as well. But as a runner, which again, sort of, I think, harkens back to the offensive line issues we talked about a minute ago, 71 rushing attempts under four yards of carry, 3.68. Maybe it's Jalen Armstead. Yeah. He, he was explosive running back there last year. He had, what, 50 carries in average? He was definitely their hammer, which yeah, I think is sort of an touchdowns. interesting, you know, the, the two of them, like Armstead is definitely like the big bruising power kind of guy. Um, yeah. You know, maybe kind of like if you want to throw it back to like an Adam Moema type. Yeah, I think Armstead, you know, took a step forward in that regard last year when he was given the opportunity to do so. 
among the guys back this year, he was the only one to crack six yards per carry. But again, you know, he, he I was actually kind of surprised in retrospect that he didn't get more work. You know, he had a couple of nice yeah. games late in the year against UNLV and against San Jose State. But you know, is are, are they gonna give him more opportunities? Are they gonna lean more on Cam Davis? Are they gonna give Lucky Sutton more of a shot? They have options and it could go in any number of directions, but it, it really does tie back into the offensive line where you know if the guys up front can't do their job, then whoever's carrying the ball behind them, it may not matter. I know it that's that's the problem. That's what we don't know. And so the town here's the thing, my thinking the talent on offensive line is Here's my thing. Their offense is like, we'll get the receivers. They're just okay across the board. Running backs, eh, just maybe just like everything's maybe okay. Like Jalen Maiden, he'll take a big step. I think he'll be above average, but offensive line, probably just okay. Middle of the pack running game, as far as we know, what's coming back, probably just okay. What they lose on receiving, like losing Jesse Matthews and Tyrell Shavers, like they might just be okay on offense and have no true good identity because like you said outside of the past year or two it's been running like the last time a good running game was it was it greg bell in the 2020 year where the first half he's amazing they kind of slowed down after a bit outside mm-hmm. of them the past two years they've had no offensive identity that's been good they've been we want to run the ball but we can't we never really have a great quarterback obviously relatively speaking to big time qbs that you can go back to christian chapman they would love to have a guy go 15 of 20 uh, 200 yards and two touchdowns or one touchdown, no picks or two touchdowns, mm-hmm. no picks, something like that. They've had no offensive, but they've been, they just honestly haven't been great on offense the past couple of years, like past two seasons. They don't, they don't have their identity of what, what it was. So what's it going to be this year? They lose receivers. Here's, so here's like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What are they going to do? So here's one thing in particular that I got my eye on with regard to the running backs in particular. And with Armstead to sort of narrow that focus even more. There were 26 running backs last year in the Mountain West who had at least 50 carries. Interestingly enough, Armstead was number one in that group in yards after contact per attempt, which again, small sample size because he only had He's a big dude, carries. man. He's what, 5'11", 220, something like that? But he's exactly that kind of power runner where if they wanted to use the run to sort of salt games away late, like if they want to use the pass to set up the run, you know, lean on Maiden, lean on a, a passing game that, that looked definitely more explosive in the second half of last year. You know, it could be that guys like Kristen, like Cam Davis, are, are the ones who see the majority of action early in games. Yeah. And if they get a lead, then Armstead could be the one who puts who puts the the hammer, the nail in the proverbial coffin. You know, with with getting carries late. So I'm very interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, I, I think. Like it's hard to see. They're they're gonna be running multiple running multiple backs. I think mm-hmm. he'll have a similar role last year. May he may not lead the team in rushing attempts, but he should mm-hmm. be. It should be almost what they did a couple of years ago. They would have Penny and Pumphrey. I guess it's more than a couple of years ago. Or even number one guy. What maybe they make him number one guy? But I could see him maybe doing. Trying to look at a good comparison, of like two backs that have like uh, maybe a Boise Boise did last year. He had Genty with one fifty six, and then Hohanu two twenty one. Maybe something somewhere in that range. Where you leave him, leave him late. Where he's a bigger guy and he kind of push teams over when they're trying to close out a game or have a drive to come back to where okay, he's only had eight carries so far, but the fourth quarter he gets six more on that final two drives or seven more in the final drive or two to put things away or 
just bruise a defense that's already kind of fourth quarter fatigue. Yeah. That might be a good idea, but who's going to catch the ball? Because I mentioned Lou Shavers, Lou Matthews. That's the or top is it gonna be two some, targets. Is it going to be some rando dude because Lindley wants to throw it to five guys, which we don't think will happen, but there's that's another area where it's like, well, it's a, again, the offense is a bunch of wait and see. Yeah, but it's not like the cupboard is bare, but there are definitely more questions than proven entities. You know, as, in terms of the latter, I think, you know, one, they got Mark Redman back. Who's probably yes. at this point one of, if not the best tight end in the Mountain West. You know, 21 catches may not seem like a lot, 233 yards and two touchdowns, but, you know, he got the job done in terms of like, you know, doing what a, doing what a San Diego State tight end needs to do, which is, you know, be a blocker and be a relatively reliable catcher. I think if there's one room for, you know, if there's room for improvement, it's the fact that he had 45 targets, which meant that, you know, with 21 receptions, his receiving, his catch rate was under 50%. So I have to think they're going to work on that. And then, you know, with Makai Shaw, who had a very, you know, strong four game stretch in, in November, sort of into late November, only 29 catches, 349 yards, and three touchdowns, but he gave them gives them at least a reliable name out of the slot, which is where he spent the vast majority of his time. The question is, who's going to play outside? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be, is it someone like Breon Penny, who's gotten, you know, you know, a lot of praise in over the last couple of off seasons? You know, is this finally his time to earn a starting gig and break out? Um, you know, what kind of role is Raphael Williams Jr.? going to play you know he came in as a transfer from western carolina where he had 47 catches 658 yards and six scores last season um you know, are the tight ends like redmond jay rudolph and cameron harpole going to get a few more targets and then what about the other young guys on the roster and guys like josh nicholson and philippe wesley who were able to get their feet wet at times last year so they've got options you know, and, and pretty much all of these guys are like former three-star guys at a minimum. And so mm-hmm. it's it's going to be one thing to sort of turn that potential into production. It's it's There's a lot of unknowns here. And again, it could go in any number of directions. Yeah, and I'm looking at Phil Steele's four, what does he go, four deep? They have Redmond's mm-hmm. tight end. So basically, he doesn't have any San Diego State receiver being on the four deep out of 12. Do you, do you see a San Diego State receiver being a top 12 guy that's not a tight end? Off the top of my head, if I'm being honest, no. But I think if everything goes according to plan, they aren't necessarily going to need it. Yeah, they might not need it, but I was going to point that out. Because Jesse Matthews, like he was when he got the ball, he didn't get a ton. He was a player out there. When he got those catches, he made big plays. Like, especially was <laughs> it was it last year he had like what five touchdowns in final six games or something like that? Pretty productive. Yeah. So if we're looking at like your best, I, I get the point. They could they could pass it to four or five guys, not including Redmond here, but maybe he's the leading receiver. Seems very likely. Do you want four guys who catch thirty passes each? That could be pretty good. But but thirty catches each, there's that's like your top twenty five guy in the conference. And I'm looking at last year's stats. You had Matthews with forty five. You had that was it for anybody forty plus. So what are we looking at? A bunch of guys with twenty five plus catches, one with thirty five. So is that going to get it done? Scenarios last year, I know, but they with Ryan Lindley, I think they'd want to up that a bit. Not a lot, but I think a lot of it is going to depend ultimately on how much they decide to throw the football as well. Well, you said what was it? He threw in the bowl game forty-two times. Yeah, for made it. That's that's probably more. 
Um, that's a big question. Like looking at what he did last year. I remember I made the dumb comp or made a dumb prediction that did not sit well with how many times he threw the ball, apparently looking at his numbers. But train but if they have what he's what he wants to do or what they want to do, excuse me, what it, what do you think is a good number? Because he threw 237 times last year, technically made and played in every game, but the first five games he had no passes, obviously, because he wasn't playing quarterback early at all. He had 36, 25. He had three or four over 30 plus. That seems like a lot. And he was fine. What do they want him to throw? Like, do they want him to throw 25 a game? I don't know what a good sweet stuff bot is for a guy who's a kind of a brand new, almost a brand new quarterback. Like he's had half a year experience. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the upside, if you're looking to sort of sell people on optimism is yeah, the offense was, it was, had its flaws, but it also got much more explosive, at least through the air in the second half of the season. And, you know, other than losing, you know, Shavers and Matthews, pretty much everybody else is back everywhere. So, Mm -hmm. You know, it, and it, it, there's a path there where they can replace both of those guys and end up just fine. I'm getting my whole offense here is wait and see. I think they'll yeah. take a step up. They'll be better, particularly because Maiden, he, I think he'll take a big leap. But I think the offense will be, they need to find some identity, whether it's obviously there's two things run or throw. I'm trying to think of a clever way to say it. <laughs> But they need to find some identity. Are they transitioning back to what Hoke did before, where they pass a lot, pass more? Because last year they still threw a lot. We made it out there, which is pretty shocking for a guy who you're playing DB, come play quarterback, and throwing 237 times in like seven games. Like mm-hmm. he threw almost 30 times a game last year, and it was was fine. So I don't know. Maybe less is more. A little bit more efficient. Maybe you'd rather have him go throw 25 times a game, complete 64 percent of his passes. And has a better interception ratio. That's obviously fewer in their favor. Maybe that will be better for them because you're more efficient despite not throwing as much. But that requires running game to give you a backing to allow that to be the case. So I'm just, I think they'll be fine and they'll take a step forward passing. And if they get a running game that's even like just a slightly better than last year and what I think Maiden's leap can be, I think they'll be, their offense will be, should be pretty good. But again, right now, we're sitting here right before 4th of July. There's a lot of we don't know if who's going to do what outside of quarterback. I think the other good news is that the defense should also continue to be pretty good. So even if the offense is inconsistent from week to week, I think that is less likely to be the case on the other side of the ball. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about sort of how, you know, the offense defined the season at the very beginning, but I think it is worth noting that, yeah, the you know the Aztecs finished overall 84th in SP plus last year, for example, and 82nd in terms of like you know net points per drive. Mm-hmm. But there were still those wide splits between offense and defense that we've come accustomed to when we're talking about the Aztecs. So, like for in terms of SP plus, for example, San Diego State was 123rd on offense, but 34th on defense. So it was still very good. And in terms of net points per drive, or excuse me, offensive points per drive, they were 112th and 27th on defense. Yeah, the same thing holds true in terms of available yards percentage as well. And in terms of like projected SP plus for 2023, they're still right outside the top 50. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they beat that projection pretty handily. 
even despite the fact that they're replacing at least a few major players. Like they've got to find a replacement for Caden McDonald. They've got to find a replacement for Patrick McMorris in the, in the secondary. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, they have to replace the Tavai brothers, Jonah and Justice. They've got to replace Sean Banks. But given past precedents, do you really want to bet against them? Like they were pretty good across the board, but the bar was not so high last year that they can't do it again. Like they got better month over month in terms of like yards per play allowed last year. Yeah. And by the by season's end, they were basically in the you know the top 30, top 40 in terms of all those things that I mentioned earlier, where the offense really struggled, you know, 33rd with a 7.7% sack rate, for example, 28th in stuff rate, 32nd in power success rate. So even if they're replacing all the star power, you know, there are guys in place that we're about to learn a lot more about, you know, part-timers who have been there over the last couple of years. You know, this is their chance to really step up and and make a and make a bigger impact. And I think sort of you know, one guy who's emblematic of that is Garrett Fountain, who has been a part-time guy over the last couple of years, you know, part-time duty last year, 41 tackles, six TFLs, three sacks. But I think maybe most interestingly, according to PFF, the fourth most stops of anybody on the defense, 22 altogether, despite playing, I would say, roughly half of the snaps of the three guys ahead of him. Like, you know, I mentioned Cade McDonald a minute ago. Um, you know, McDonald played 676 snaps, Fountain played 359, and Fountain had more snap, had more stops, according to PFF's definition of them. So, Good. you know, he seems like exactly the kind of guy where, you know, if he can entrench himself as, as one of those valuable defensive ends you know, this is a unit that could definitely keep things rolling. And he's not the only one. Like they got some youngsters, I think chief among them, guys like Darian Dalton, Dominic Oliver, who got their feet wet last year. And they also hit the transfer portal to try and shore things up as well. And they brought in Samuela Tui Halamaka from Oklahoma State. They brought in Tupu Alualu from the JUCO ranks. And I think that duo in particular, like if they can be a factor on the interior, you know, the, you know, the, the really lead the defensive tackle rotation. This defense could be as good as last year if they can hit, you know, a couple of doubles, maybe a couple, maybe a home run or two in the trenches in particular. You know, that group I think is going to be really yeah. important to maintaining last year's success. And they don't have like a strong guy, multi-year starter on the offense or the defensive line up front. That's yeah. kind of what they've had. And they'll have, it's like, okay, Again, defense, we give benefit of the doubt for this team. Like they, yeah, they lose Patrick McMorris. They lose other guys to um, whatever graduation transfer, those type of situations, just because you only get a couple years to play college football. I'm going to give them, like, hey, they will be good. The elite, possibly, but we know that the very, like, their floor is extremely high. Like, they're, if they're not great by their version, they're probably fourth in the conference and still miles ahead of the majority of the, of the league. So that's the lowest scenario, but I still think they're higher than that because last year, um, what were they, uh, 16th last year in total defense, something like that? And the thing was, when they here's the problem they have. Like when they played good teams, on a, off, good offensive teams, their defense didn't perform all that well. They Because the defense numbers, depends if you look at PFF or just normal yards per play or EPA or whatever you look at, like Parker Fleming does, does those type of numbers, FEI. Those are better, but you can – 
overall the defense might be great, but I know junk time and uh, you go against um like uh offense or excuse me, uh, how good the other team is essentially, like strength of schedule. There are some bad teams they play, and that could skew a little bit because they're playing like Fresno State last year, Air Force, these certain teams. They were not performing well, and that's at the area where they need to up their game where they're playing good teams on defense. Mm-hmm. Like the numbers can skew a bit if you're beating up on Hawaii or New Mexico or Nevada. But you would need to get that same level of play or even close to it. It's not gonna be the same because those teams aren't as good as yes, that's fair. Person. So that's the pro that's the thing too, where depends what statistic formula you look at. They're still good. I'm not saying they're still not good. I'm, don't don't confuse me and say, oh, do you think they're a bad team? No, it's that when when you go up against a team, an FCS team, or you go up against a team that's win, two and ten, you're playing Hawaii, Nevada, even CSU. Like there's opportunities to have your to get you gain confidence. You realize you could do these certain things, but it's different in playing Utah or playing Fresno State or even playing UNLV where it was fourteen to ten in that game. The offense didn't help them out that much, but they barely won. But the defense mm-hmm. stood out and going up against the UNLV team last year, who I don't even know what quarterback played that game. They went through so many last year, so. That's something to consider, but yeah, Air Force game may be different, but it's hard when it's thir- it's only when your offense scores three points, it's hard if your defense plays extremely well. So that's all I'm getting mm-hmm. at a little bit. Yeah, I think you know one major thing that's going to be a point of emphasis in fall camp, I would have to imagine, is you know identify who's going to lead the pass rush in particular. Because I mentioned a minute ago, it was it was a lot better than you might realize, but they're also replacing you know five of the seven guys who had multiple sacks for this defense last year. The only guys back who had more than two or more sacks are Fountain and, and linebacker Cooper McDonald. So there's, there's plenty of opportunity and in, in a, in a very high standard to meet. But I mean, I would, I would probably express caution against bidding against them too much. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying their worst might be fourth in the league. And that means, especially especially since they could be better at linebacker. Oh yeah, they definitely could be better at linebacker. I'm just saying which, if they're which not is, great. They're tough game, tough games, tough teams. Which is saying something because we're losing both Caden McDonald and Michael Shawcroft. But you know, when you when you bring in when you poach one of the better in conference transfers anywhere in the Mountain West this offseason in Cody Moon, yeah. and and pair him with a guy like McDonald who's back and. Um, you know, Zyrus Fiaseo, who I believe started, you know, every game in the second half of the last season. You know, that's a trio right there. That's a, you know, compete that should be able to compete with just about any in the conference. But, you know, Moon in particular, given what he did with New Mexico last year, 105 tackles, nine and a half TFLs, four and a half sacks in this offense. I'd like you know, if you're an Aztecs fan, I wouldn't blame you for being excited to see what he might be able to do. Like if he's going to play a McDonald type role or a Kaiva Tizino type role, or if he's just going to anger the middle of that defense and let other guys fly around and attack the quarterback and things like that. Yeah, he legit could be their best player defense possibly. This yeah, year. coming in. I know they got guys like a couple of Juku guys coming in and Oklahoma State transfers. These guys coming in. It's just an an area where we're going to their coaches like Kirk Mannix when he does. He's going to coach Moon up, coach all these guys up, and linebacker. And that's what they're typically like. They're one of their best positions almost always is. I know D, Patrick Morris and DBs get a lot of credit for what they can do getting the ball. But this area is, is extremely important. And mm-hmm. they need a leader on the team. Even though he's a new guy, he's been around the conference. He's played against this team before. I'm pretty sure he has in New Mexico at least one point in his career. So it's not like he's unfamiliar with who, who these opponents are as well, which goes a long way. 
it, it it's a small thing, but if you're bringing a guy from like their receiver coming from Western Carolina, he doesn't know what the DBs are at Boise or Fresno or Air Force. He has no clue. Where te- technically speaking, he'll learn and be fine. But Moon is familiar with who these who's he's going up against. He knows what his own New Mexico team needs to do. He knows what this team in Nevada will do or Oregon, not Oregon State. I'm sorry, Fresno State will do. So that that's kind of goes a long way. But he's that good where he's probably going to be. He there's potential. He could be him, DJ Shram, potentially defensive player of the year candidate, and Cody Moon if he does to what we think he can do. Yeah, I can get behind that. Easton Gibbs. Sorry, so I mentioned Easton Gibbs as well. Do I need to not disrespect the Cowboys? <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, he, he's he. I was looking at him quick. I know there's somebody else. I was I was reading off a couple of first team guys. I'm like, all right, but he could be the best linebacker in the conference or up there. And so that's what San Diego State always has. Like that, you said the one guy who's going to be the best defender of the team, one of the best in the conference, be a first team guy, and help shape things around him. Ideally, he's the guy who just makes plays. But if he has to be a guy who, oh, they're going to double him or run away from him or or do the off-pass plays that are not in his direction, well, other guys will shine, hopefully. Mm. So that's a, I'm excited for that position, despite it being basically brand new as well. I think I'm most excited for the secondary, personally. Ooh, well, why is that? So losing McMorris is, is a blow. I mean, you know, Cal's typically had pretty good defenses, so I guess I can't blame him for making that move. But yeah, but I want to win, though. I want to win. I want to be a victory. Get on the podium. That's a good. That's a good point. But I think it helps that pretty much everybody else who contributed to this unit last year is back. Um, so you know, even if McMorris out of that Aztec position is is a big loss for them. Um, you know, they also return Chiron White, who you know made a couple of starts at, at a couple of different safety positions for for the Aztecs last year. You know, he could probably slot into that you know sort of flex safety position for the Aztecs, and they'll be just fine considering they have you know Sidarius Barfield is back and Devon Celestine is back, and both of those guys can play cornerback and safety. And then, oh by the way, they've also got Des Malone back, Villa Avenger is back. Dallas Branch, who, in my opinion, maybe one of, if not the most underappreciated player in the conference over the last couple of years. Yeah, I believe, you know, other than Jonah Tavai, he was one of their top-rated defenders in terms of pro football focus overall grade. Number two on this defense, 81.7 overall. I mean, if you prefer layman's terms, uh, over the last couple yep. of seasons, he has five interceptions, <laughs> pass breakups, and, and seven pass breakups and seven tackles for loss. He's exactly, he's like the platonic ideal of an Aztec's defensive back. But all of those guys know how to make plays. I think the trick for them heading into 2023 is, you know, trying just to get more hands on footballs, period, because where they led the conference in 2021, 61 total pass breakups. Yeah, they fell last year to around the middle of the pack, and they fell from 61 to 38. And while they they definitely had success in, in creating turnovers, same as they had the year before, they had, I believe, uh, 17 interceptions two years ago, 13 last season. So like that wasn't a problem for them. But in general, if they can be more opportunistic, and play play those those deep shots more closely. You know that I think is going to help alleviate whatever you know error bars you might say that the offense could have. Like if they give the offense more opportunities, oh, yeah. 
to right, set up shop time, yes. in favorable positions. That I think is going to help you know, the Aztecs go a long way towards getting to their ceiling this fall. No, just kidding. Like if they, it's going to like, there's games where you look at the, like how many rock fights we talk about. They beat Hawaii 16 to four, 14. They only beat Nevada 23, seven last year. There's always games where like I already mentioned a 14 to 10 game. So it's things like that, um, that there could be a problem or not a problem where if the offense has a problem, defense bails them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm getting. Like, so we know what, what we can do for, for what it's not we like, I'm a part of the Aztecs team here. Like what we, what this team can do defensively if the offense struggles where there's so many unknowns defense. This is the first time in a while too, Matt, where it's like, what is um, a situation of the defense where we're this many question marks. It's been mm-hmm. a while, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. Like most people, most people are. All right. What about special teams? Well, yeah, Browning back, right? He's a he's a pretty good player. Isn't he? The Jack Kicker Browning Brown? show, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he, be... wasn't, he wasn't Matariza. He he wasn't an all. Who is? And he wasn't, but he didn't need to be because he was still one the best punter in the Mountain West. You know, forty six point one yards per punt, and a net, I believe, above forty one. I think they were also number one or number two in that regard as well. Also, eighty percent off field goals, including five of nine from from forty and beyond. So that part of that part of special teams is fine. I think the big mystery is you know, with with Jordan Bird, you know, out the door. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be their return guy? Oh, I don't know, man. But uh, it's probably be one of it's typically what do they typically put back there? One of the running backs. Did Jesse Matthews get any receptions last year? Kick return. I believe ball? he was more of a punt returner than anything. Like right now, I'm trying to remember, um, you know, Keenan Kristen and Max Garrison are are listed as the uh, the, the top chart. kickoff returners. Mackay Shaw and Barfield are listed as the top punt returners. That's according to their post spring depth chart that they put out back in April. So it, it could go in any number of directions, but it's it's sort of the one thing in the, in this area of the game where you know, after years of sort of knowing or knowing what to expect or having an expectation. It's sort of a big mystery. Because Bird was the best returner. Didn't he have two or three touchdowns last year returning kicks and punts somewhere? Had a couple. Yeah. So overall, I'd say kicking, punting, elite, possibly arguably the best in the conference since Brown is probably the best punter and <laughs> could be the best kicker, top three. If a return game is... Here's the, the return game. It's like, okay, here's an example. Like, I'm sure my NFL watch, but Philadelphia Eagles, the reason I know this because former Utah returner and receiver Britton Covey played there. He basically said, fair catch the ball, don't screw up. Which is, um, it's pretty nice to make a NFL minimum salary just for catching every time. And then nearly <laughs> breaking off one for the Super Bowl where he had like 20 yards on one return. So <laughs> you don't want to be noted. You want to be noticed in the return game if you're good, not bad. So I'm not saying just fair catch and be safe with it, but if that's all they are, Combined with what they could do, punting and kicking, that's fine. That's not what you really. That's not exciting. It's not what you want, but they will take that over. Oh crap! A muff punt. They get at the three yard line, or mm-hmm. the guy tries to make a big play. Like, oh, let's try this one play we did once. This those end around reverses, and the guy flips it, and it. Oh crap! It went behind me. You don't want that stuff. If these guys are average, that's that's perfectly fine. And the, even with that, that would probably still give them the total overall number one special teams. If punting and kicking is that good, with just an okay return game. Mm-hmm. So that's where I stand on that. They'll be fine. All right. You know what time it is? We talk offense, defense, special teams. Matt, this people, this is the thing people want to hear our schedule predictions so they could hate us forever. 
right? Or maybe, or maybe no like fear. this. I don't know. No fear. All right. So a midterm schedule is pretty difficult. They have uh, two power five teams, one at home, one on the road for the uh, non-conference play. They play Ohio conference champion from the MAC to open the year. So let's start there. They go, they play the Ohio Bobcats who, when they played last year, this Ohio team, I guess the way the Ohio team is, they had a couple one score losses. They ended strong by winning the MAC, winning 10 games, beating Wyoming in the bowl game as well. And they returned arguably the best can I, quarterback. Can I, can I clarify something real quick? What I mess up on, yes. They were actually the MAC runners up. They lost the, the MAC title game to Toledo. Oh, apologies. They made it to the MAC title game. I must have been reading too quickly when I was going over the Bobcats. Thank you. So, guess what? They're still really good in the MAC. They won 10 games last year. That's they right. They won a bowl game, 10 and 4. Maybe I looked at first in Mac East or something. I don't know. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Not Mac champions, close enough. But Curtis Rourke, first team, possibly once it's official quarterback in the conference. They have also Shea Bangaria, if I'm saying it properly. Apologies if I'm not. Top running back in the conference, or could be the best one, I believe. They're, this is going to be a team where this is going to test that Aztec defense right away, man. They also have yeah, one of the I best mean, receivers as well, and uh, Sam Wigless, who had what? Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to I'm willing to cut you a little slack um, because uh, Ohio had to play that that championship game without work um, because he was sidelined, I believe, with an ACL injury or knee injury. So, um, so they could have won. They could have won the <laughs> back, I think, if if he had been there. But because he's insanely talented, like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the group of five. He he averaged, I, I want to say, like it was like 316 yards of total offense per game last year. Um, not not just in terms of like passing, but like running as well. He was, uh, you know, Bangura was the the lead running back, but you know, Rourke before adjusting for sacks had over 400 yards rushing as well. Completed nearly 70 percent of his throws. Accounted, I believe, for 29 total touchdowns. So, like between you know that duo plus leading wide receiver Sam Wingless, 73 catches, 877 yards, and 11 touchdowns. You know, this is an offense that was awesome last year. It really came together. And in terms of like points per drive, just outside, you know, the top 40, uh, or excuse me, just inside the top 40 in points per drive, just outside of it in terms of available yard percentage. So they know how to move the ball. And the major difference, I think, which which enabled them to really come out of nowhere after you know a big you know losing season in 2021 was the fact that the defense really took a step forward as well. Um you know they were roughly middle of the pack in terms of available yards percentage and and yard and uh, points per drive allowed, but they've got some individuals on that side of the ball who could be a major, you know, could be major factors as well. Like Bonnie Walk on Watkins on the defensive line had 14 tackles for loss last year. Key Thompson was an all-conference linebacker. They've got players on both sides of the ball that should pose a pretty stiff challenge right out the gate in Week Zero. Which is why I have this one penciled as a loss, if I'm being honest. So do I. I just think it's at home. I get it, but it's also first game of the season. So no obviously no injury concerns or anything like that. But I just think Ohio has a bit too much for an Aztec team, which look how many question marks. Everything we talked about previewing offense defense, like, well, they're replacing the linebacker group. There's no senior in this, no experienced player here. Running backs, they weren't very good last year. Those are top receivers. The only stability they literally have, like, is sort of a quarterback which not nothing for you played half the year. We know who he is. So stability may be still learning, but in special teams, Kiki, we're browning. So I just don't think week one, it's it's going to be a loss too. I got them as a, 
even though a loss, even though Aztecs early lines have them at a three and a half point favorite at home, which is basically pick on them essentially. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm thinking it's going to potentially be a loss at the moment. Then they go to, or not go to, they play um, UC, Idaho State, um, CBS Sports Network, obviously, because that's where they play their games at. What do you know about the Bengals, who are typically not very good at the SCS level? Well, um, we talked about them a little bit during our Utah State podcast. They're one of the few teams that are playing two different Mountain West teams this year. Um, The brief uh, rundown again is that they are starting over. Um, Their head coach, Charlie Rabel, was only there for a year, went 1-10, bolted for Arizona State to work with Kenny Dillingham. Good call. They bring in a new head coach, Cody Hawkins, where if the name sounds familiar, that's because he's Dan Hawkins' kid. He was the OC at UC Davis, where you know Dan Hawkins is currently the head coach. Um, but this is a team that is really starting over a lot on both sides of the ball. Like they're losing their top linebacker Charles Ek. Um, you know they had three different quarterbacks start games last year. Maybe they're bringing only one of them back, Hunter Hayes, who, if memory serves, had more interceptions than touchdowns a year ago. It's a long-term project uh, for these Bengals to try and turn things around. Aztecs should win this one just about as easily as they won as they, as easily as they won this game last year. All right, now we get to the big game. They play UCLA at home. Meat regular and potatoes old, time. Heck yeah, regular old CBS. Not that we're giving all the game times now. I just happened to notice that there. So that's a good prime time slot for them. Four thirty local. So the Bruins, Matt, obviously Chip Kelly's there for what? This is what, year number five, I think, now, after going to the Eagles and prior Oregon? Year six, actually. Oh, year six. Okay, close enough, whatever. They bring a new quarterback. Dorian Thompson Robinson is gone. Zach Charbonnet is gone. However, people still think like the Bruins could be like a top 25 team preseason-wise. They're basically a step below USC, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington. That being said, Pac-12 is going to be really, really good this year. Not to rub dirt in because Aztecs may or may not be there soon, but Bruins are might be honestly top third in the conference, but so they're still a really good team, even if they might be projected like fifth in the league. Yeah, their their offense last year was kind of insane in retrospect. You know, they were top five nationally in terms of points per drive and available yards percentage, but you know they're replacing the quarterback, they're replacing their top running back. I believe they're also replacing two or three of their top receiving options as well so mm-hmm. you know not just charbonnet and, and thompson robinson but you know jake bobo and casimir allen and other guys like that but they oh. have one of the more interesting quarterback competitions anywhere in the country lining up you know for, for 2023 because they do return ethan garbers who was thompson robinson's primary backup last year they have a five-star freshman dante moore who could win the job and they brought in one of the better quarter quarterback from the Mac and Colin Schley. So, you know, that's a three guy, that's a three person race that could go in any number of directions. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out, considering they also brought in one of the better running backs available on the transfer portal as well. And Carson Steele had over 1500 yards and 14 touchdowns at ball state last year. So, um, you know, they did a pretty good job of poaching the mid American, um, and then the passing game also brought in a couple of transfers as well. You know, they brought in Kyle Ford across town from USC. They brought in Maliki Matavao from Oregon at tight end. So, you know, between all of that, you know, they also return, you know, contributors like Michael Sturdivant at wide receiver. The big question, one, 
you know, are they, how well are they going to be able to battle regression? Because I think it's going to be expecting a lot for them to be as efficient as they were on offense. But the defense is returning nine starters to a unit that was a sieve last year. You know, triple yeah, know digits in points per drive allowed, triple digits in available yards percentage. That's even despite the fact that they've got Darius Buisau, who you might recall from his Hawaii days, he's back. Mm-hmm. You know, he had almost 100 tackles last year and was, I believe, an all-conference linebacker. Um, you know, they brought in transfers like, you know, Jordan Anderson from Bowling Green, uh, you know, uh, Gary Smith from Duke. So, like, they've restocked on that side of the ball, but also return a lot of production. But if San Diego State is going gonna, is gonna to make its hay and win this game, they've got to be able to get things going from the get-go on offense and also find a way to contain a, a, a Bruins offense. That still figures to be pretty powerful. I think that that's going to be a really tall order for them, though. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like The weakness UCLA brings is potentially their defense. Can the Aztecs take advantage of that? It's not the same offense that they faced several years ago. When they, won too, the, yeah. when they won at the Rose Bowl, which is why it happens so, when Pennzoil does another loss. I do as well for a couple of reasons. We forgot to mention that first game for Aztecs is week zero. We didn't mention that, I don't mm-hmm. think. So one way I could see this being a potential win still, UCLA plays Coastal Carolina week before, and that's going to be a pretty tricky game. Mm-hmm. So that's an area where, okay, maybe there's something going on there where they struggle or – at the, whatever, it's just a good team you're playing. Two t- two good teams back to back. This is a road game, but it's literally an hour plus drive down the road to San Diego Snapdragon. So, I think it'll be a loss, but it wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they were to get the win. I just don't think Aztecs have enough. Both these have questions, but I lean toward the team that has been recruiting over the past five years, and that's UCLA in the Pac-12. What about Oregon State then? On the road. They're not going to be DJ Ungolale out there or at Corvallis. I'm telling you, man, I put hard, cold, hard American cash for Oregon State to win the national title this year. My $10 might be wasted, but I'm just saying, I believe Oregon State could be really, really, really good this year. Jonathan Smith, love what he does as a former QB coaching up at Oregon State. They beat Utah two years ago. They are a team where who they if DJU can be above average because remember he's like oh this offensive Clemson's easy and boring and wasn't very difficult it was just something that was it was just basic and that's why they weren't very good at Clemson that's what his words mm-hmm. so maybe who, who knows how much you want to believe into that it, but he's also not Deshaun Watson or uh, what's his name Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. or even Kelly Bryant for that matter but FBI has Oregon State 91% chance to win this game I think research stadium might be complete I remember there's a you saw any games there last year? I think Fresno played up there last year, Matt, I believe, or we saw Boise as well. Oh, no, they played like at home. Okay. I forgot, they played some road game, whatever. When they played home, Boise State played like, them on the road. That's what it was. And I think Utah played out there as well when I watched them play. But their stadium's like half full because of construction issues. So it's kind of a weird looking thing. But like looking at who they have and what they do, they got San Jose State, then UC Davis. I have a couple teams to play before. Davis, whatever, be fine. SCS, San Jose State, pretty good team, I think. But I just don't think – I think the offense is going to be too much for San Diego State to keep pace. Oregon State won 10 games last year and was fifth in the Pac-12. Fifth with 10 wins. And now they get a quarterback who should be pretty good. They were Their best running back was a freshman, Damian Martinez. This team where they're going to be – they're going to want to push you around a bit. I'm not sure how much they want to throw because last year they only had 16 touchdown passes. So if they get their QB play up, say – 
Like if DJ gets what, 24 touchdowns on the year and eight picks, that's fine. That's pretty good. You know, it's kind of interesting because I think when you really think about it, the Beavers and the Aztecs are sort of kindred spirits. How so? Because I think they they, they want to rely on a stout defense and a power running game more than they want to rely on a on a pass heavy offense. So, like you mentioned, DJ Uyagulele, yeah. uh, one he's got to win the job first from you know from he, Ben Branson, who started down is, the stretch last year. You are not a transfer quarterback coming in to be QB two. He's starting day one. Plenty of plenty of quarterbacks transfer and don't win jobs. That's all I'm saying. And I his struggles at so. Clemson were very highly, you know, very strongly defined. And while there was like criticism that came out, you know, after he transferred about Dallas Swinney and whatever was going on out there in the ACC, like you can't just set that aside. It's, you know that it's not a given that he's going to go and win that job. But regardless of whoever's at quarterback they're going to have a really strong trio of running backs to rely upon. You mentioned Martinez, but between him, Fenwick, and Jam Griffin, the two of them combined for over 2,000 rushing yards last year and 20-something rushing touchdowns. So like between that and an offensive line that still figures to be one of the nation's best, um, they, you know, they could very well uh, be a Joe Moore or finalist when all is said and done. You know, with you know guys like Jake Levengood, Talise Fuaga, Joshua Gray up front. You know, quarterback is one big question. What's going to happen on defense when they're replacing a lot at pretty much every position is going to be another, because their top linebacker Omar Spates transferred to LSU. You know, mm-hmm. three different guys in the secondary moved on. You know, by graduation or moving to the NFL. And for as strong as they were on that side of the ball last year it still remains to be seen whether they're going to be able to generate a pass rush because that was something that they didn't necessarily do all that well last year. They were 119th in the country with a 4.4% team sack rate. So there's questions, but I think I'm with you where, you know, despite that the question's a quarterback, I, I just don't know if San Diego State is going to have the horses on defense to be able to contain the, the running game. And yeah, that's and I, why I, I have them losing this one too. I do as well. And I get the point. They're not going to throw a ton. But give me a quarterback. Like, their quarterbacks are 60 to 13. And Sacre was okay just over one a game, which is not – it's fine. One sack game is not going to kill you. But the interceptions did last year. And so if they get a quarterback, I assume it's DGU. But if it's not and they get reasonably good enough running game, they'll just kind of push them around. And I think that's how Oregon State's going to win. So I have the Aztecs sitting at one and three after – excuse me, yeah, one and three after non-conference play. And then they get the league. And and then they get Boise State to open conference play. Oof. Would I make an error of giving that a win last week? We're talking Boise State because it's a Friday night home game for the Aztecs. Well, I I called it a win for the Broncos. I said me, not you. You because I made a mistake. You don't have to, it's okay. I honestly don't recall. Okay. No, it's I know I'm saying like I picked them as a win. I didn't look somebody told me, he didn't check who they played before. I'm like, I get it. I think at this point, either San Diego State's gonna be beat up a little bit because playing three really good teams out of the four in the first month. But Boise State's not invincible either, what we talked about. So go listen to our podcast about them, even though we have them, I have them higher than you do. We could figure out the record if you listen to that show, won't give it away. But I guess my point stands where I think they'll Aztecs will figure it out at this point in the level of competition. 
will be about the same, if not maybe a touch less. Not that that matters too much, but we know Boise will be no, – here's where I know, Matt, this first couple of weeks, the running game, defensively, we'll know what's going on. We'll know what they have at linebacker, defensive line at the plane. They're going to get – that, that front six, yeah. <laughs> they're going to yeah. get tested yeah. basically every single week. You know, yeah. Ohio, UCLA. Yeah, that's like four of the best running games anywhere in the country right off the bat. We'll oh, yeah, and then you also get Air Force after that <laughs> on the road. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what the UCLA does running the ball, but we know they won't be a slouch from what they've done last for Zach Charbonnet. Charbonnet. So mm-hmm. here's my like stretch. I go Air Force. Man, I, I here's what I have. I'll just kind of go. We're gonna run through these because again, we're not gonna do too, all these deep dives on individual Mountain West teams. We do every show itself for the team. But Boise, Air Force, Hawaii, Nevada, Utah State, CSU. I have the Aztecs on a roll, winning six in a row. Yeah, I have them winning five in a row, starting with that Hawaii game. But I don't think they're going to beat Boise State. I think they're going to lose on the road at Air Force. So you have four then? Well, I have them losing four in a row and then winning five in a row, leading into the finale against Fresno State. Oh, okay. So I stopped. Okay, I see. I'm like, wait, same amount of games. So for me, that has, okay, let's make it more clear for people. Boise State win for me. At Air Force win. At Hawaii. Nevada. Utah State. At CSU win. You're saying... Boise or Boise Air Force loss, but then we differ again on the San Jose State game. You have the beating San Jose State on the road. I do. Why is that? Explain yourself. I, <laughs> I mean, I think generally speaking, like you know, those have tended to be pretty close games, and that's also true of the Air Force game too. I looked it up, and in the five the five last contests between the Aztecs and the Falcons have been decided by ten points or fewer. So that, you know, despite whatever the advanced numbers might say, has always sort of struck me as a coin flip game. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like, you know, the Aztecs versus the Spartans, the Aztecs have generally had San Jose State's number over the last few years. Like the, you know, going back to 2013, I believe the Aztecs are what they've won eight of the last nine mm-hmm. against San Jose State. And I do think that, you know, the questions that, you know, San Jose State, at least in my mind, have up front in the offensive line in particular, where we talked about early, you know, just a minute ago, the Aztecs are going to get pushed early by a lot of strong running games. I don't necessarily know if San Jose State has that. I think that they have the potential to have that, but I think that their offensive line is also much less certain in terms of their how they're going to progress from last year, too, which is why I have the Kyrie Aztecs winning that game. Yeah, Kyrie Robinson, we mentioned it's a dumb state, but if he plays well, they do well and win. I just think on the road a little bit, their new stadium's kind of completed that. There is a, not necessarily a big home field, but I think San Jose State's good enough to beat them. Like they have one of the best, they might have the best quarterback in the conference in Shavon Cordero. Like he's a top QB in the league. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, I think that's where it could be done. But games prior, anything else like at Hawaii, no, Nevada, definitely not there. Utah State could be interesting. It's at home, but Cooper Legault could sling it and maybe get something done against this uh, secondary. But by this point, like what's that game number nine? 10, we'll know what they have. And mm-hmm. is Utah State have a running back uh, with Briggs there? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We've talked about uh, Utah State. Or, no, we've not. Yeah, we did talk about Utah State before. Apologies. So you can go check out that out who they have. But there's a, that's probably out of that stretch. That's a, it's a game I can see them not winning. But Nevada almost for a certain win at Hawaii. What about at, C- at CSU? Is that great? Clay Millen? I was just going to say that. What do you think about that one? I have this win. I think it'd be close because again, Look at all these quarterbacks. Like we mentioned, a running game like Air, like the first half. 
Look at the throwing. The second half, Hawaii's going to want to throw the ball with what they do. Utah State, Cooper, got Clay Millen, Shavon Cordero. We'll get to Fresno in a minute. The Jeff Tedford won't throw the ball. What are your spots on the spots on the Spartans? Or not Spartans, but the Rams being like a that's a sneaky good game, I think, late in the year. It's it's all going to come down to their offensive line. <laughs> they I think a lot of it is going to come down to their offensive line. You know, we talked about the Rams, and I do think that you know I'm, I'm relatively bullish on their defense. Yeah. But I think it, this, it, it's going to just come down to how much more can they protect Clay Millen to get that offense off the ground more consistently. If they were to give up two sacks for San Diego State, could they win that game? Yes. What's like a threshold? They're losing them. At, like, I know it's a dumb stat sack. If it's like more than three, is it like a guaranteed loss, you think? Like four plus? <laughs> I think if it's more than three, it's definitely trending in the wrong direction. <laughs> totally. I'll say, I'll exactly. say that much. You're not, I know you're not giving the right the full answer, but I get it. Like if it, it goes back to just protecting him well enough. Mm-hmm. Like a couple, like if Millen gets 20 sacks on the year, they're that's not too bad. It's like one one and a half a game. That's not terrible. But you yeah, have that and, as and let's of, not forget, like they they pivoted to more of a power running game in the second half of last year. And had a bunch of close calls that didn't necessarily go their way. So it wasn't like they were getting blown out week after week as the season progressed either. Like they had a very close loss to Wyoming, very close loss to Utah State, close wins against Nevada and Hawaii. So it could go and it could, you know, it, it could be another coin flip game if Colorado State bounces back with a vengeance and San Diego State doesn't, you know, doesn't resolve all of their lingering questions with an exclamation point. Like that's a game that could surprise people by how competitive it is. Also, Avery Morrow seems likely not to be on the team. So that's something yeah. to watch for the Rams. So that could diminish their running attack. All right. Fresno State at home. What do you have for them for your bull for your Bulldogs? Well, I have the Aztecs losing that game. So do I. What's your reasoning behind despite neither of us knowing the quarterback at the moment for Fresno State? Um, running back is new. There's a couple receivers. There's a couple guys to Washington State. There's a couple defenders. Is it just, in my opinion, the offense will still be will be too much for them? And Fresno's defense is still pretty defense. not great. It's defense. Yeah. It's defense. Defense. You think defense? Fresno just shut them down. I think they are the most li- one of the more likely candidates to shut them down too. Yeah. What what makes them that? I mean, I think that you have to sort of look back and, into the matchup last year's game where it was it was right there for San Diego State's taking. And then they were they were mistake prone down the stretch. That makes sense, yeah. No, I just try to think like what and I think, I that's, think that's one thing when I'm when I'm looking at the game that I the games that I have penciled as SDSU losses, Boise, Air Force, and Fresno State. I think that's sort of the other overarching question that's going to define their season is you know, for as for as promising as the Aztecs offense can look, what are they ultimately going to achieve against the defenses that are likely to be at or near the top of the Mountain West? That makes sense, yeah. Like, how, consist- how consistently are they going to be able to move the ball? And how well will they be able to avoid turnovers in those situations? That's a fair point. Like those couple of teams you mentioned for losses, they have good defense. And that's and you know, on and and to be frank, like I, I know that there's a lot of preseason prognostications out there that to have sort of penciled San Diego State in as a legitimate contender. And to me, like I think they're they're closer to that second tier 
right now just because I don't know ultimately what the offense is going to look like. Like, I feel pretty good about the defense and their ability to keep them in the mix most weeks. I just don't know about the offense. That's the thing. Like, Phil still has him number two. I'm like, okay, why? What, like, what? Not, this is not a, a, a dish on San Diego State, but what do they have coming back? Like, what position group is, like, solidified? We know, they, besides quarterback, because Jalen Maiden and he'll take a big jump. They only have – that's the only real position group, and I guess kicking with Browning there. What group is like, hey, we know our, our guy at right receiver is this guy. Our linebacker is this guy. I know Cody Moon, but he's a transfer coming in. Like, what position group sort of solidifies, like, we know this group is this, and they're going to achieve this. We don't know secondary. that for half the t- – okay, that's it, right? Maybe quarterback and secondary? Even losing Patrick Morris, you feel that way? Yeah. Okay, but not many positions. If you look at the Boise State, just for example – Quarterback, they know, even though it's a fairly similar situation, so I'd put that in the same area. Running back, they have two guys. Wide receiver, we know what they're coming back in. If you look at the other team, like other teams in the conference, like the kid, legit contenders in the conference, there's only there's a couple. Like Wyoming's defense is legit amazing. We know what we're getting from their quarterback, even though if it's good or bad. We know what they're coming from their running back position. We know what San Jose State's going to do in passing the ball and throwing the ball, and what they can do defensively a bit even though there's a couple of guys Aztecs as it like they have a lot more question marks than people are saying like people they could do like could they do it and go 10 to 2 maybe but like if I look at my schedule here like I could probably flip San Jose State to a win but probably flip Boise to a loss they could lose to the Air Force I have them at 7 to 5 and losing two conference games and losing two conference games Probably could do well enough to put them in the conference championship. They may not be 12 wins. Like, when did they have 12 wins? Was it last year and they got shut out of the title game? Was that last? Was it two seasons ago? When was that? They had 12 wins. Well, no, two seasons ago, they had 12 wins and, and won the last Lost? division. Oh, maybe I think of something else. Okay. Maybe my, my mistake there. I think it's for some reason, I think it's something else. But point being, they could have a not great win loss record, but still make it to the title game because. Their non-conference slate is very difficult, clearly, for what we've gone over. I just yeah, they have a lot of question marks. Like, like what I fear, they could they lose to Boise State, yeah. Could they lose to Air Force, yeah. Could they lose to Utah State, yeah. Like, there's a lot more losable games on here, but I I trust them more often than not, and especially defensively and Maiden's growth, where they'll be better. But I, could they beat Ohio at home? Possibly. Maybe that puts him at eight and four. That's not an elite team. That's a pretty good team, but an average team. But I think if if I if they get two, I think any team that gets two conference losses is going to be right there to be in the title game. And I think that's where they'll be be knocking on the door with two conference losses, but seven and five overall. Yeah, I had them at six and six and five and three. Oh boy, they're going to hate you, Matt. <laughs> I think. I mean, but I'm with you in that if. If they play closer to like the best case scenario where, you know, the offense is humming, you know, Maiden, you know, takes a step forward and cutting down the mistakes and is just as potent about, you know, stretching the field at the passing game and the running game is just a little bit better. Then, yeah, this is probably a team that can win 10 games and and walk into the championship game, maybe even host it. I just don't think that's the likeliest scenario. I think the likeliest scenario is one where they end up, you know, you know, with another frustrating season on their hands and or you know, one thing goes wrong one week and another thing goes wrong in another week. There's just I like some of the things they have going for them, 
But like, for example, if they can't replace Jonah to buy Kashawn Banks and those guys in the front six, they're going to have a hard time against, you know, strong, you know, likely strong passing games like Oregon State, Boise State, Fresno State, or even like, you know, like you mentioned, Colorado State and, and San Jose. If they can't make any progress on the offensive line, that could stunt the offense's overall progress. That could, you know, help them, you know, get, you know, that could make them you know, potential upset victims against some of the teams that we mentioned here, like Hawaii could jump up and surprise them. There's just a lot of uncertainty. Or I think they're probably I think I think they're definitely gonna be good enough to be a bowl team. But I don't think they're a surefire lock to make it to a conference championship this year. No, they're a lock, but if they're two losses, they're gonna be tiebreaker scenarios. I just don't see it. Well, what do you mean? Don't see they'll be in contention or don't see they'll be there? I just don't see that they'll be in contention. Okay. Uh, we'll see. I, I guess I'm a little bit higher on them. So I like what mating can potentially do. But I ultimately think at seven and five and two legal losses, they're not going to be the title game. They'll be close, but I can see anywhere from like six to nine wins. There's a pretty big wide gap for what this team could be. Because again, Air Force lost, maybe Utah State, maybe <laughs> beat Ohio. Is there going to be any? Um, well, let's wrap up with this. Since the um, they're hanging around the Mountain West, is there? Do you think the players or coaches going to give some extra fuel? Like these guys want out of here and want to beat the crap out of them, oh, show absolutely. them on the way out. Do you think that's going to play into a factor for maybe an extra loss potentially? Um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. I'd like to say, like, it's like these guys they don't care about you. They think they're better than you. I can see the coach f bomb oh, here. Where we're here, it's going to happen. Oh, I totally. Know. That's what I wanted to talk about because that's exciting. They're going to come in and say they don't want to be part of your league. They don't want this. And then I guarantee when they play UCLA, see they're scared. They're leaving because they don't want to play us every year in the Pac-12 when we get there. But I get it'll dull totally be used and it'll be they'll get the best shot every week because that's what they think they're better by else on the way out to potentially still likely Pac 12. But that'll be this, this season will be fun to watch how teams prepare and talk about San Diego State. Media day is gonna be spicy next in a couple weeks, so it'll be fun. Any I other agree. final parting parting thoughts on the Aztecs this year? Are we good to wrap it up and say go to Twitter and or wherever you can vote for next show? <laughs> I, uh, I think we are pretty much all set for now. All right. Excellent, folks. So MWR.com, um, as long as Twitter's around, then you can view your six. Don't make us our 600 first tweet, Matt. You got to be 600 or fewer to view us, apparently. I guess that's the rule, whatever it may be. But go to MWC Wire to uh, share the post, share the show, vote on the uh, next set of teams we're going to talk about. And, yeah, if you missed any of our other shows, Boise, CSU, Utah State, go back and check those. And we'll see you next week where we'll be talking about um, – we'll be halfway through our pre- preview season. Matt. That'll be great. Number five so will we'll be close. To, oh, uh, okay, sorry. Close to halfway. I can't count. Five of 12 will be next show. So we'll see you then.